Welcome to Home Health 360, a podcast presented by Eliacare. I'm your host, Jeff Howell, and this is the show about learning from the best in home health care from around the globe. Welcome to another episode of the Home Health 360 podcast, where we interview home care professionals from around the globe. I'm your guest host, Erin Villier, U.S. Director of Sales for Care Software, and today I am joined by Jeff Salter, who is definitely in the running for the title of Most Interesting Man in Home Care. Jeff is the founder and CEO of Caring Senior Service, a non-medical home care franchise. He started this company when he was just 20 years old and has successfully grown the business to over 47 locations in 18 states. Jeff has served on several advisory councils for the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, or NAC. He has spoken numerous times at national conferences for NAC and the Home Care Association of America. And he's an active participant in the International Franchise Association. Now, what puts him in the running for the most interesting man in home care is the topic of our discussion today. I thought that everyone could use a healthy dose of inspiration as we approach the end of 2022 and we're all thinking about our 2023 goals. And I believe Jeff's story fits the bill. Jeff launched a nonprofit in 2021. And get this, to kickstart the foundation's fundraising, he decided to ride his electric bike across the U.S. visiting each franchise. And if you didn't catch that, it's 47 locations in 18 states. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Jeff. I know it was 2021, but I have to know, have your legs recovered yet? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yes, my legs are fully recovered. I get the question a lot, do I still ride? And Um, I definitely took some time off and we'll get into kind of the adventure itself, but I took some time off and didn't ride for about six months, but I've, I've started back up again, uh, recently. So (laughs) good for you. I can imagine like needing at least six months off after that adventure. Now, before we dive into talking about this bike ride, I want the audience to get to know you a little bit better. I know you've spent your entire career in home care. Like you started the company when you were 20. What drew you as a 20-year-old to the home care space? Uh, yeah, you know, I get that question a lot. People learn learn who I am, learn about the company's history, and then, then find out that I started when I was 20. And I tell people that actually I did not come to home care um, having a personal experience with a, a parent or a grandparent that was receiving these types of services. Of course, in 1991, this industry didn't really exist. There were a few individuals out there doing this on on their own. Uh, they had maybe small companies, uh, but it was really mom and pops across the country in pockets that were really doing the service. But I recognized that seniors were, were struggling with the situation of being at home and alone. And, and what you find in senior care and in seniors in America in general is that it's not just kids that move away from the parents. But increasingly in the in the early 90s and, and through today, seniors move away from the kids and they get themselves into situations where they do eventually need help and no one is able to be there locally to help out. And this was happening in Odessa, Texas. And it was I was seeing that lots of individuals were calling. The, I worked for a home health care company 
that didn't provide that type of service. They just focused on the skilled services. So I would answer the phone at the front desk. I was an assistant secretary as my first role in healthcare. And uh, my job was to coordinate calls. And people would call asking for help. And I would actually just give them a list of names of people that I had gathered that did the work independently. And over time, over a few few weeks and months, I recognized that I kind of had a knack for helping to put the right people with the right clients. And it was kind of funny because it was a joke uh, initially uh, with the nurses that I worked with. Here's this 20-year-old kid saying, you know, I, sh- I should start a business doing this. I'm giving these names away for free, but they keep calling me back because the person didn't work out for some reason or they needed a day off. So I thought maybe I could coordinate this and help out, and I just had a real good knack for matching people together. And uh, one day a call came in, and the client said, I need someone to be with my mom at night. She's getting out of the hospital. And I said, you know, the company you've called, we don't provide that service, but I have my own company, and I'll be happy to help you. If you give me a few minutes, I'll find out who I've got on my, on my schedule, and we can get someone started tonight. And like that, the company was started uh, now 31 years ago. Wow, that's impressive. That's a you were a lot more mature as a twenty year old than I was. I think for sure. Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. I was, I was definitely um, at the early start of the business. I, I would, I was still attending college at the time, and I was having to go to my classes with a shirt and tie on because the only thing I could do as a twenty year old to make myself look a little bit more. Um, professional was to dress the part. So I had to, I was the only kid in my college classes wearing a shirt and tie to school because I'd have to leave each day to go take care of and work with my clients. <laughs> well, you d- dressing up definitely worked for you. You've been quite successful. When you first started your company, did you have any aspiration of building a franchise from it? How did that evolution transpire for you? Yeah, not at all. I, I really didn't. Uh, you can imagine a 20-year-old uh, kid starting a business didn't necessarily know what he was doing in the first place and didn't know uh, what what it might become. I did, though. Uh, you know, I talked to people about the fact that I didn't have a, a, a senior parent or a grandparent. I didn't really have that, that emotional tie to the business and the success of the business wasn't that way. But it came really quickly for me. I The first few clients that I cared for, I got very involved with and I recognized that I was doing these two wonderful things. One, I was helping a family that was struggling with these challenges of how do I care for mom when I'm not there? And then dealing with a senior that was grateful and thankful for the help and support. But then the second part was the ability to have a business that every time I got a new client, I was going to put someone to work. And that job creation meant that someone was able to put food on the table, roof over their head, help their kids through their school, whatever it happened to be. And that was a super impactful in my personal life to, to know that that was having an impact in both sides. The clients were getting the help they needed and the individuals were getting employment that they desperately needed. So I recognized early that that was something that was needed. The business grew very quickly. I was surprised by the success um, and and it was really driven by the need. And I opened a second location in uh, Midland, Texas, which is only 20 miles away from Odessa. So that was a pretty simple step. But then an opportunity came for me to open a location in McAllen, Texas, which was a big leap from Odessa. It's about eight hours away on the very uh, south tip of Texas near the border of Mexico. And that then really got my eyes open to recognize that this service could be, at that time, 
I was thinking Texas. It could be throughout Texas. And um, I then started a location in Corpus Christi. And then finally, I decided to move to San Antonio in 1996. And I wanted to test out the model to see if I could do this in a large metropolitan city of over a million people. And I, I quickly found success there. Um, and uh, from that point, I thought, okay, what, what do I want to grow to next? How, how do I want this to become a, a, a larger business? And then in 2002, I was lucky enough to run into a good friend of mine that kind of inspired me to start the investigation of franchising and discovered that that would be a really good way to expand our business model. We had really found that individuals could easily – learn how to do the business. We had a model because we were running multiple locations. So we had a real good system in place. And it was an easy transition for us to then become a franchisor because people wanted to buy into a business that had a proven business model, had done that for almost 10 years at the time, and be able to really plug into all of those systems and allow them to bring the needs help the needs of seniors in their local communities. So that's kind of how we how we got started and, and, and became a franchisor in the process. That's interesting. So you, you just sort of evolved over time, opened about five locations in Texas and said, wow, now it's time to grow after 10 years. That's very cool. Yeah. Like, like a lot of musicians say, they, they, they uh, suddenly become popular and everyone thinks it's an overnight success. And they say, well, I've been playing in small venues for the last 10 years. So <laughs> absolutely. Right. I get, yeah, there's some parallels there for sure. Now, I know you're heavily involved with NAC. Is there anything you want to share with the audience about your service to the association? Maybe why it's important and what they've done for the industry? Yeah, it's, it's the the association that exists to for our services for the non medical community is are very important. There's the Home Care Association of America, and then there's the National Association for Home Care and Hospice. I try to work with both of them. I've been heavily involved over the last ten years with the National Association National Association for Home Health and Hospice or Home Care and Hospice because I feel that they really have. A, a direction for what they're trying to see happen with the non-medical care services. They've got a lot of history in being um, the, uh, the, the group that is in front of legislators. And I think there's a lot of need in our industry to really be in the driving seat as, it, as in regards to regulations and where our industry is going. Not, not that the Home Care Association of America is not. I think that both groups are doing a lot for our, for our industry. And I think it's important that they both exist, actually. I just, I just found that I've connected well because our industry is so tied to the home health and hospice side of services that I think it really makes sense to be with that group to help align our services and show that we are a part of that community. Uh, sometimes I spent so many years in this industry being on the outside looking in. It's non-medical services, so oftentimes people would not consider us part of the healthcare continuum, and that was pretty much the story for the first 20 years of this industry, I feel like, and we probably didn't get the recognition we, we needed, and that's also why you saw that the Home Care Association of America was formed, because it wasn't getting the attention it, it, it felt it deserved, and we, we knew we needed to, but as it's transitioned dramatically in the last 10 years. We are recognized as part of the health community, and I want to make sure that we're as aligned as closely as possible with those groups. That makes a lot of sense. I think for the listeners, the key takeaway there is get involved. Um, 
you're you're not non-skilled services. You are part of that continuum and you are highly skilled if you're out there caring for seniors. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it takes a, it takes a, all of us working together to make sure we get the outcomes we want. You know, seniors that are, are, are going to be aging and staying at home where they want to be, they're, they're going to have challenges that are health related. And then they're going to have challenges that are act, activities that are living related, you know, cooking, cleaning, um, some of the simple personal care things that we all take for granted as, as adults uh, become much more difficult as you age and someone has to be there to help and then recognize that a lot of the challenges are due to some disease process or condition. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of need and it's just continuing to grow. Absolutely. For sure. Now, I want to get into the juicy bits here. To celebrate 30 years, congratulations, by the way, 30 years is quite the accomplishment. You opened a nonprofit foundation called Close the Gap in Senior Care. And I see the folks on the line can't see what I see, but you've got on the shirt. It looks really nice. (laughs) Can you tell me about your foundation? What's the mission and how are you making an impact? Yeah, well, we started off just in. Uh, I kind of have to go back to kind of tell you how we how we got started with the with the with the movement initially, and then became a, f- a full nonprofit. Um, we were planning our our twenty uh, twenty one event. We were going to be celebrating thirty years. We started in nineteen ninety one, and we're trying to decide what we were going to do to celebrate thirty years. And we didn't want to just be a company that was going out and and celebrating that big accomplishment without a purpose behind it. We, we've always had purpose. We're here to serve seniors and help deliver our, our brand and level of service across the country. That's the, the reason we exist and what we're trying to accomplish. But we also recognize that, that in doing that, there's a bit of a self-motivation. We are for-profit companies. We're trying to grow our businesses. And I wanted to do something that was a little bit different, um, both in the approach of how we celebrated, but while we were celebrating for that entire year, we wanted to think of how we can give back to our communities in a, in a real positive way. So we really got to thinking about what we're trying to do as a company, what our mission is to help seniors remain healthy, happy, and home, but then expand it. How can we get others involved in, in an indirect or a direct way? So we really struck on this idea of closing the gap in senior care and recognizing that, that I've spent so many years trying to help this industry be recognized and be known because I didn't. I didn't want, I didn't think that 30 years in, I would still have conversations with people that I, that I'd met and told them what I'd do. And they say, wow, I didn't know that service existed. I mean, 30 years later, I I can't imagine. I I knew that was a problem in 91 through the nineties, through the, through the two thousands, but I didn't think it would still be something that existed now. And I recognize that there's a lot of these challenges that exist in local communities. So we wanted to try and bring attention to the gaps that exist at the local level, but we also didn't want to be um, hubris in thinking that we knew what those gaps were. So the movement's all about bringing together the different groups and discussing and understanding what those gaps are and then working together to close those gaps. And we kind of modeled it off of the, the in the end, the, the decision was to do a bike ride. And we'll maybe get a little more into that in a few minutes. But but we thought about the bike ride. We thought about people working together in a bike race. And when you're working together in a bike race, what you do is you come together in close proximity to each other because moving forward through the uh, through the um, through the air, basically, you're on the ground, but you're, you're breaking the, the air when you're riding 
Um, and you've seen it probably in races when, when they get close together, one person gets behind the other. And in doing that, when you work together like that and you close the gap between each of the racers, you can go farther with less energy, you can go faster along the way. And we recognize that that, that symbology of, of closing the gap was the same thing we're trying to do in senior care. We're trying to all work together to fill in these gaps that exist. And, and for us, we wanted to try and focus on the gaps that we recognized were kind of everywhere. And we focused on fall prevention because uh, falls are the leading cause of injury-related death among seniors. And 80% plus falls happen in the bathroom. So we decided to do a specific fundraising to uh, provide grab bars to seniors that didn't have the uh, ability to, to pay for them themselves. So we want to raise money on the, on the, the anniversary events so that we can install grab bars for seniors in, in, in their home. Putting two grab bars in the bathroom help reduce some of those falls and, and hopefully save some lives. That's a really worthwhile cause. And I do love the parallel of drafting. You can do, it, it, the work is light. If you can get close enough and work together, you can go faster and work about 30, 40% less. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very cool. So installing grab bars in bathrooms. I love it. I love that, uh, that initiative. Now tell me, what led you to decide to ride your bike 9,400 miles to visit each of your franchises? There's got to be a good story behind that. I'm wondering, did you lose a dare? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, um, we were trying to decide exactly what we did. At the 20-year anniversary, I, we did events at uh, locations. Uh, each, each location that wanted to, I came out to the to that location. They celebrated the 20-year anniversary of our company. And we had social events where I maybe, uh, we had dinners and we, we spoke to the community about, about what we were doing as a company. And we thought, well, that might be something we could do for the 30-year celebration. But then I thought, you know, that's kind of been done before. Uh, the CEO going on location is something that's relatively normal. And when I was thinking about it, it was because we had 50 locations. And I was thinking, man, I don't, I don't think I could travel. I don't want to fly to all these locations, be in hotel rooms for all that time, uh, just do these events. Maybe I can drive to the locations instead because I just didn't feel like the, the air travel was going to be uh, worth it, you know, the, the hassle that it can be. And I thought, maybe I'll drive to locations. And then one of the guys had, uh, that was there said, Jeff, you know, you've been, you've been riding your bike. I I'd bought an electric bike many years ago, actually. And I, I, every once in a while, ride it to the office and, and back. And it's about 20 miles each way. Um, and that's about the limit for my bike. I'd, I'd, I'd ride it to the office. Um, I need to charge it to get back home. So I charge it and get back home. And he said, man, you should ride your bike to all the locations. That'd be really cool. And I looked at him and said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Who's going to ride a bike across the country at all these locations? That's, that's, that's no way. That would take forever. Well, uh, like a lot, of, a lot of crazy things that get, get uh, said, I, I went home that night and started really thinking, like, could I, could I modify my bike to where I could do it? I said, there's no way I'm going to ride a bike, a regular pedal bike. I'm, I, I'm not an, I was not a cyclist. Even though I was doing these 20-mile rides, they were occasional. You know, I didn't do them very often. I'd actually ridden a regular bike 20 miles to the office and back, and it killed me. And I was like, there's no way I can ride across the country like that. For one, it, I, I did some research uh, just to see, and it takes uh, most, most adventure cyclists who do this cross-country riding 
make about uh, 40 to 60 miles a day is kind of an, uh, an average. To get beyond that requires a lot more time or just a ton more energy. So you, you can't carry as much uh, when you, if, you, if, you, if you want to go a lot further at least. But with an electric bike, I can, maybe with the assistance of an electric bike, I can, I can make that happen. But no one makes an electric bike that goes those sort of distances and not, not intended, it's intended for like trails in the city or, or in the city itself. But I started doing a lot of research and, and, and did some tinkering and found that if I modified my bike in some ways, bought a couple extra batteries and figured out a, a process, then I could get more distance out of the, the battery power and I could get my extensions to 80 to 120 miles in a day. I could figure out how to get that travel. The problem with electric bikes is if you add more battery, people think, just add more battery, no problem. Batteries are heavy. You add more weight. That more that additional weight requires more battery. More battery requires more weight. So you have this law of diminishing returns that kicks in. So you can't just pack it full of batteries and expect to go a lot further um, before you've got this unwieldy type of um, contraption that you're trying to ride like a bike. Right. And then I imagine you have things that you have to take with you that's weighing the bike down even more. Yep. That's the next thing. You can, There's a lot to consider. Imagine for a second you're going to leave your house and go on this adventurous bike ride, and uh, we did an unsupported trip. So it was uh, we really had to. It took me about seven months to kind of figure everything out. Um, but uh, just after a couple of months, I, I I felt okay. I can do this. I think I can I can figure out within a timeline. Um, this would have been we decided this in in. I guess it was probably September of 2020. So when we said, yeah, let's do this. I gave myself till November 1st to a go or no go. You can imagine like NASA launching a rocket. Okay, go, no go. Um, and I I came, I went on a trip in November. I, I'd set up most of my configurations the way I thought I needed to. And I went on a trip to where I had to ride for 100 miles for three days in a row just to see if my body could handle it, see if my bike could handle it, see if I could actually make it. And I was able to do that, and I finished a three-day, three 300-mile trip and came back that Monday and told the team, said, guys, we're going to do this. Let's start the plan to, 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 for me to ride to every location across the country. Um, I, I then spent time actually mapping it out. That alone took a tremendous amount of time. I, I did a real rough draft at first. I just kind of went point to point. So let me draw, use Google Maps, go from San Antonio, Texas, down to McAllen, Texas. And, okay, there's that distance. Okay, I can do that in two days. And then go from McAllen to Corpus, Corpus to Houston, Houston to uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville to Wilmington, North Carolina. So I just started doing this points to points. And I learned very quickly, I said, oh, oh, shoot, this is going to take a lot longer than I thought. When I finally got done, after about 40 hours of kind of spending time on the computer, plotting each segment of each day, and again, four months, so you can imagine that that's a, that's a, a lot of configuration in the process, 120 stops, if you will, um, it was going to be over just under 10,000 miles is what that distance was going to be, so... I had a, a, a big gut check at that point and said, okay, this is going to be a lot more than I thought even. And it was going to be four months. It was going to take me four months to make the full trip. And that was a lot more time than I thought. So I had to go back into kind of a mode of, okay, did I, did I get myself into something I can't do? Um, but just pers- persevered with the planning and uh, eventually felt, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to happen. <laughs> 
that's that's pretty impressive and brave. Like there's some definitely definite lessons learned there. And speaking of which, along the way, I'm sure you learned a lot. <laughs> Do you have any big lessons learned you want to share from your four months on the road? You know, it was it was um there was a lot of moments in in a trip like that to go on that really a little bit of soul searching because you the for one the day of our trip we decided to go on April first of uh, 2021 we picked April first it was April Fool's Day so I I told people at the launch you know we picked April first because only a fool would consider doing something like this and, and I tell people I'm that I'm that fool if you will um, but you can imagine you're going to be leaving your house. Um, most of us, uh, many of us people listening to this call right now, think about the the largest travel trip you've gone on. We've all gone on business trips where we're gone for two days. We've all gone on a trip where we go from one location to the next, and then maybe even a third location. Not too often people are on the road for four months, though, and having to plan out stops. And not many people have to worry about each day, the distance they're going to go through, what that planning requires. I mean, you can't carry the food you want to carry when you're going on a trip like that because you have to stop and get along the way. Thankfully, I wasn't in the wilderness, so it wasn't like I was doing something across the great uh, the great tundra or something. I, I was going through towns and cities the entire time. So, But we did the trip unsupported. I had a companion rider for about half of the distance in which some different guys would ride a companion bike. And uh, but if either anything went wrong along the way, we had to figure out how to fix it. We didn't have a truck following us or a car following us. We had to just kind of figure it out along the way. And in that process, one of the lessons, life lessons I learned is that as a founder and CEO of my company, I'm kind of a, a hard-driven individual who thinks he can solve everything himself. Um, I Just my upbringing in general kind of led to that kind of attitude in general. But I found that that people want to help and people want to give and that you need to just let them do that. Um, I think we've all experienced that, right? We, we, someone comes up, Hey, do you need any help with that? No, I'm fine. I've got it. And afterwards, when that person leaves, we thought, why did I say that? I could have used their help right then and there, but we all have this general way of being. Um, and I had to learn to, to, that giving up the control and allowing people to help is as important for them as it is actually for you. People want to help, and we all like to give, and we want to want to do our part. And so along the way, I had many people want to either give money to the cause, or they want to help maybe give me a ride a little distance if I was not going to make where I need to be, or they want to just you know uh, help help give me some food. You know, it was, it was really interesting the number of people offered me food right. on the trip. You um, look recreationally homeless. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it was. I had I was telling stories just uh, just uh, three days ago. Um, day two of my trip, I had a, a I was stopped at a convenience store and uh, getting a, getting a drink, and I was sitting down because it was a hot day and I was resting before my next uh, you know 20 30 miles I had to go and this little boy walked by me and he looked at me really really like I I had a, a second head almost and he looked at me and he said are you homeless <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine it it was like wow I must I must look homeless right now and pretty much a lot of the trip I think people thought I might have been just some homeless dude riding across the country or something so it was it was pretty fun but uh, it was it was there were lots of moments along the trip where it was uh, 
you know, gut check time you do you keep going but the, the 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 first one started on the very first day though whenever i was i was about to i was getting to our headquarters here in san antonio and gonna gonna launch from there and just that morning you know just the, it all hit me like okay you're about to leave your house you're going to be gone for four months and you've got to figure out every solution every problem that comes up along the way and then and and Everyone's betting on you. You know, everyone's, everyone's, we planned events for, for, for four months along the route that I would ride. So I had to, every day we had to make a certain distance. If we didn't make that distance that day, we had to make it up and we had to book in advance all of our, we stayed at, uh, we camped out about half the time. So we stayed at like uh, state parks or RV parks. So we had to plan all those uh, in advance. So I had to book them for an event. It was summerish time for a lot of the trip and those parks fill up quick. So you've got to be able to have an advanced reservation if you're going to camp in the summer pretty much anywhere in America. Um, we stayed in hotels some of the time. So that was always our alternative. If we didn't make our distance, we could book a hotel room. Um, but it was uh, it was a challenge to to get on that bike the first day and knowing I was going to be gone for four months and, you know, you, you're, you're leaving your, the, all the creature comforts we all enjoy. Uh, those, those trips we go on for business or even vacation, you know, you're going somewhere else. It's going to be, um, you're going to have a hotel, you're going to have a bed. You can predict most of what's going to happen. But I was going on this trip that was, didn't have those type of predictions at all. Oh, that's a little scary. Definitely a lesson in bravery and some perseverance there. How did the perseverance to push through day after day after day, how did that translate into your perseverance to be successful in the industry as a whole? Because I'm imagining there's a lot of parallels there. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think of, uh, you know, my general upbringing and, and I, I was uh, a track athlete in high school and college and I, I definitely knew what it took to train for something and to be prepared um, and to also deal with disappointments. You know, you, you, you have losses and you have to either decide you're going to work at it to get better or just quit and, and give up. And, and give up is not really in my vocabulary for, for things. Uh, unfortunately, it sometimes this can be an advantage, but it can also be a disadvantage at times. But something like this was, it was a matter of just really understanding that you had to get the mileage in. You had to keep going forward. Uh, we hit rain, we hit uh, uh, wind, lots and lots of wind across the country. Um, nothing worse than, than than riding a full day of wind in your face. Uh, most riders, when they do a cross-country trip, most people do the southern route from California to Florida when they do that because that's the general um, direction of the wind. Not many people go the other route. Most people go south because it's flat. If As you go further north in the country and try and go east to west, you're facing headwinds quite a bit. I didn't have that option because I had to make a full loop around the country. Um, so we didn't, we didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, options to avoid those days when the wind was blowing. And if the rain was, was coming, if there were storms going on, we had to ride through those um, each, and, each and every time. So, so the, that type of perseverance was, was important. But the good thing with a, a, an adventure like this, the fundraising piece and then the message behind what we were doing, again, going back to deciding on this, we decided that there was going to be a cause behind what we were doing. We were going to be raising money to help seniors uh, avoid falls, and that I think it was a it was a very smart thing for us to do because I personally 
had had two moments during the trip, two different times, that I felt like quitting. I felt like no one cares about this. This is just you being stupid, Jeff. Just get off the bike and go home. Um, but because we had planned events, we were raising money, and we had not hit our goals during any of those downtimes for me, uh, I kept going. I knew that this was a, there was a reason for it. In the end, it would pay off. It would be absolutely worthwhile. So those things, you, you, you almost, if you're going to do something like this, you've got to have something besides just a personal goal, I, I feel like. Yeah, um, some people might be um, more driven than I am and able to keep it if it's just a personal goal. But for me, you, you do three, four, five, six weeks on the road, and it gets kind of wearisome. You know, the, um, and they talk about this a lot, people that um, – are RVers maybe, and they go from location to location. Um, you do get very road weary because you're never in the same place twice. And you know, there's an adventure side to it, but that adventure eventually wears off. Um, things aren't that different from one place to the next, unless you can really kind of do some soul searching and find those things. But it's, you wake up in the morning, you pack your gear up, you get on the bike and you ride for eight hours. You get done you unload the bike, you put up your camp, you cook your meal, and you go to bed. And then you get up in the morning, and it just repeats over and over and over again. But but thankfully, we had those events that we did. And every I got this, like, this recharge about every five to ten days in which we had an event. And at those events were, were our caregivers, our clients were there local community people involved in senior care in some way, shape, and form. And so those, I was lucky because I got this huge recharge. You know, people ask me why, why I was doing this. And we told people, we're doing this to inspire people. We want, I wanted to inspire the future caregivers uh, in this industry, people that could, if they saw me on a bike riding, caring as much as I do about the industry, then maybe they might say, hey, senior care is something I want to get into. I wanted to inspire young individuals in technology to think about, you know, don't don't create the next video game, create the next technology that's going to help seniors age in place like they want to. How are you going to enrich their lives? You know, focus your attention there. And then I was hoping to inspire entrepreneurs, people that wanted to maybe get into this business. I didn't. Uh, yes, we're a franchise company. I'd love to see more franchises come on board, but I just want people to be involved in senior care because. We're going to need so many more people owning businesses in this industry. And, you know, those those things kept me recharged and kept me going. And the perseverance came with knowing that that was going to have an impact on someone. I was going to be helping someone that would want to get involved in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. There, I think the lesson there for me is, you know, if you have this big, hairy, audacious goal, this mission that is bigger than yourself – it can be quite difficult at times, but just look at what you can do if you just don't quit. It's like the Nike slogan, just don't quit. And that's what you did over this trip. You just didn't quit. And you were quite successful at raising $100,000 for your foundation. That's that's fantastic. So I have a silly question for you. What's your next fundraiser going to be? Because I think it's going to be hard to top that bike ride. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we raised in the end we raised one hundred and seventy thousand dollars total. So it was incredible to to see us get that get to that number. Um, we we we're still in the right now in the in the phase of trying to to install grab bars in seniors' homes. We've done about one hundred and twenty grab bars, um, helped one hundred twenty families. So that's about two hundred forty grab bars installed. So we're focused on that right now. We've 
we're actually only we we've only um, done a not even a fourth of what we're planning to do. We've got enough funds to do nearly six hundred grab bars in seniors' homes. So we're really trying to continue to build our network and help more seniors in our communities. And we're trying to spend down some of those dollars before we do more fundraising and before we focus on any other areas that we think there might be national gaps. You know, there's definitely this grab bar um, uh, challenge right now is, is a, it will be a focus through this year and probably through 2023 because um, we're just trying to help as many families as we can with that. And it's turning out there's a, there's a pretty big need. Um, the challenge is getting the installs done, having enough installers across, building a network of installers that will do this uh, for us. It's because we're helping individuals who don't have the means to do other things in their home. They couldn't afford grab bars, much less uh, remodel their bathroom or something like that to make their home more accessible. Many of them need a ramp probably, but there's there's not a ramp. Um, many of them might need a shower um, take out their tub and put in a shower instead of uh, a bathtub. But right now, our dollars are focused on the grab bar piece because we want to impact that small piece first. But later on, we're going to be looking at other options, other things we can do to help help those in need because there's a lot of individuals that are that are not getting the help that they, they need and getting the modifications to their homes that they need so they can age in place. Yeah, it's a real problem. And I'm curious – how does one get their senior that they love involved here? Like how do how do you choose who you're going to help? Is that for the franchises to look at their senses? How does that work? Yeah, right now it's which the other other aspect is we're really our clients that are using caring senior service for their service needs or maybe any of the other providers that are out there doing this type of service wouldn't necessarily qualify for the free grab bar because they have means they could they could probably pay for their own grab bar um, if they could find an installer and the company they're working with wants to coordinate that with them our focus has been to find individuals of need in the community we're focusing right now with all of our community partners in the cities that we currently have locations in, but we're working with all of our community partners, home health, hospice, rehab companies that have identified a senior that they think is needy. So we've been primarily working on referrals from them. We anticipate opening that up to more, but we're trying to make sure we have the network built out properly so we can service people throughout the the U.S. And that's right now is one of the biggest challenges. I just got back from a, um, a conference that was dedicated to home modification um, um, companies. And the issue we have is that home modification companies are so busy with, with work that is, is more profitable than installing grab bars. Um, the grab bar work that they do is sometimes takes more time than it's worth for them to do. They've got to schedule. Do they schedule a grab bar install with their guy or do they go do a home home um, bathroom remodel with their guy. The same person does both tasks. So right now we're just seeing that that continues to be a challenge and also convincing them that this is a community uh, give back type of thing. They're not going to make a lot of money installing grab bars for our clientele that we're trying to, to help. So it's just a challenge to try and get them to see that this is a way they can positively impact the community. It's a little bit of a give back, but it's hard to get business owners that legitimately are, are for profit to think like that when they don't necessarily 
need to because they're doing well with their business sometimes. So it's it's my job right now to help people understand that this is a worthy cause and they should get involved and they, and they want to get involved. It's going to be a certain type of business owner, uh, builder that gets involved there, someone who's dedicated to community service. I, I feel certain there are plenty of folks out there and I'm excited to see how this all evolves over the next year or so. I know we're running close to time. I want to switch gears. I got two more questions for you, but um, I'd like your opinion about what's going on in the senior care space right now. What does the future of senior care look like? And is there a role for technology in the space? Yeah, right now, I think that there's, you know, I've been having a chance to speak this, this, uh, this year and I've been sharing some, some stats. So if, um, we can, uh, those of, those of us, uh, those of you listening right now, prepare for some numbers and maybe write these numbers down. But the last, in the last decade, if you looked at 2010 to 2020, the growth of the 80 plus population, and that's what I like to look at the 80 plus population because that's who typically starts needing these types of services. And that's when the real challenges start. But the growth of that population was actually about 1.2 million people. So in the last 10 years, only 1.2 million aged to the age of 80 plus. Um, so it, relatively small. And it was actually a, a, the growth rate was kind of flat from the previous decade. So, but if you look at 2020 to 2030, that grows to about 2.4 million people. So it's almost a doubling of the size of the market that's going to grow in 2020 to 2030. So we're all experiencing that right now. And then if you look at 2030 to 2040, again, um, I hope to be involved in the, the business still through that decade. Can't promise it, but I hope to be. But that decade, it's 5.6 million people will age to the age of 80. So that's going to be a quadrupling of what we're all experiencing today. And that's kind of scary for, for me when I look at the numbers. And the fact is technology has to be evolving to help provide the services for those people because there's just not enough hands to put directly on seniors to help them. So we're going to have to really be thinking about what technology looks like. The one advantage that we have that, I, that I'm hopeful for is that when you study the aging population, the group of people that would become 80 in the next 20 years um, are the people that are 60 today. And 60-year-olds are individuals who are more accepting of the technology that they're seeing today. And so they'll be accepting of future technologies in a different way than the clients that we've been serving for the last 10 years. Not that they're they're uh, uh, afraid of technology. It's just different to them, and they're not sure how it's going to help them. But I think the future uh, two decades, that's going to get easier for us all to introduce technologies and to really try to come up with some innovative solutions. So I'm, I'm very hopeful in that sense. Um, that 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 there's going to be a mind shift that will be happening, um, but uh, it's a little bit of an unknown, and and we don't know what that technology is going to be. There's a lot of cool things that are out there, but uh, we're going to have to use technology to 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 keep seniors safe at home. Yeah, you bring up a really fascinating point. I never thought of it that. I guess I have never thought about what's going to happen in 20 years, but you're right. The seniors these days, they're more acclimated to technology. And so it 
definitely makes sense to think that when they're 80 and they need help, that they're going to be fine using the, you know, telehealth or remote patient monitoring or interact with AI in some way that like Alexa on steroids kind of thing. It's very cool to think about how we can leverage technology because there's just not enough hands, like you mentioned, to be in all places at all times. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, I, I guess being involved 30 years, it means that I've, I've had this long window of, of, of seeing things. And of course, um, I'm, I'm a technology geek in so many ways, and uh, it's always been frustrating to me when we're, we're trying to adopt new technologies and getting, you know, I'm on the, when you look at um, anything, you use a, a bell curve that is the phases of adoption, you know. Some people are at the very front end. They're the people that will buy any new technology and try out anything. That's completely me. Um, we're the ones that end up, you know, I had a TiVo back in the old days before recording was even a thing um, on on uh, for recording your shows on TV. Um, and everyone thought that was crazy back then. And now today it's, it's commonplace. Everybody uses it. So we'll see the same things happening with, uh, I think, technology as seniors and, and the, that, that many more people will be willing to adopt it. I think we will. It's exciting to think about. Um, I do have one final question for you. Uh, you know, if people aren't inspired by what they've heard you say, you know, almost 10,000 miles on a bike just to raise money and you raised $170,000, that is just quite the accomplishment. And it is, it's really important work that you're doing. So if I want to get involved, if I, I know you're not doing any official fundraising, but if our listeners want to contribute in some way, how can they donate to your foundation? Well, it's our, our close gap in senior care. We've, we we're, we're um, official nonprofit. So people can, can go to close gap in seniorcare.com. It's kind of a long uh, URL, um, but that's an easy way to, uh, to find us. And we're, we're always accepting donations. Um, and people can reach out to me directly. Um, find me on LinkedIn, Jeff Salter, Caring Senior Service, um, is, is the company that, that I founded and the CEO of. Um, but get engaged. They can, anyone can reach out to me directly. Um, and my email is jeff at caringinc.com, and I'm sure you'll be able to put that in some of the comments on the uh, podcast itself. But anyone wants to reach out directly, I'm happy to, to talk to them. I, I love when people want to hear more about the bike ride. I share those, those stories. We, we covered a small snippet of things right now, but there was uh, so much more on that trip. And um, anything that, that I can do to, to help them um, get involved in their local communities, we're, we're, we're hoping that in the future we'll start some local uh, close the gap in senior care chapters so people can be focusing more officially. We started our first one in Essex, New Jersey. Our franchise owner there started it with about six other people. So they're starting to really focus locally on what those uh, those gaps might be. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that early start. We, we hope to see more of those chapters uh, started throughout the country. And, uh, you know, just, just whatever whatever they feel would be the right way to get involved. We, we need more money. We're going to continue to raise money in the future. Um, we're happy to take donations now and we'll be working to make sure that we help as many seniors as possible. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing how to get in, involved in your foundation. And thank you for sharing your story with us this morning. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. And yeah, thanks so much for having me and let me, let me share it. It's uh, again, uh, I was lucky to be able to do that. I had a great support 
product team uh, there. So, you know, you do these things, you, you, you see the guy on the bike, but behind the guy on the bike were a, a lot of people helping make sure it happened. So, and, and thank you for, for continuing to tell the story. I appreciate it so much to be here. Absolutely. It does take a village, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. Right. It does. Home Health 360 is presented by Eliacare. First off, I want to thank our amazing guests and listeners. To get more episodes, you can go to aliacare.com forward slash home health 360. That's spelled home health 360 or search home health 360 on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. The easiest way to stay up to date on our new shows is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a newsletter you can sign up for on aliacare.com forward slash home health 360 to get alerts for new shows and more valuable content from Aliacare right into your inbox. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.